0: Welcome back, everyone, to Diary of an Empath. My next guest is Terry Cole. Terry is a licensed psychotherapist, author, and global leading expert in relationships, boundaries, and personal empowerment. Her no nonsense approach to therapy has transformed the lives of many, and her work has been featured in media outlets such as the Huffington Post. The New York Times and Forbes. Terry is also the host of a popular podcast called The Terry Cole Show, where she provides listeners with actionable tips and strategies to create meaningful change in their lives. So in today's episode, we'll be discussing Terry's journey as a therapist, the importance of boundaries and relationships, and how to cultivate self-love and empowerment. So without further ado, let's dive in. Terry, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. I'm super excited. Me and Terry were talking a little bit before the show, and how I stumbled across Terry was through a, a mutual person who I was on her podcast, Erin called the Raw Beauty Talks podcast, and Erin had um, Terry on the show and said that she ended up signing up for her boundaries course and had to highly recommend her for my show. So we got connected that way. Terry, I would love for you to talk a little bit about your journey and how you got into this field and where you're at today. All right. Well, thanks. Yes. Erin is
1: so sweet. Um, Yes.
0: I love her. That's energy.
1: (laughs) So great. Um, Well, I wasn't always a psychotherapist. I was a talent agent for years before I became a psychotherapist for celebrities and models. I was negotiating contracts for like movies and stuff like that. And I was also simultaneously on my own therapeutic journey And so that is the thing that really shifted my life, was my own personal experience in therapy. So I started when I was 19, I stopped drinking when I was 21, and I've been in therapy pretty much, pretty consistently ever since. And I'm not anywhere near 19, so it's been decades. Um, Because part of what I realized in my own therapeutic process was the way that I looked at life before therapy was I was like, okay, well, we're, we're all kind of dealt a hand, right? Like imagine it's a card game and you get these cards. And, you know, part of me thought, all right, we just make the best of the cards we're dealt. And then in therapy, I realized that that wasn't my only option, that I could also just decide I didn't like those cards. I didn't like that deck. I didn't like that game. Like I could literally, from the ground up, create a life I loved. And it had nothing to do with what happened previous, that as long as I handled my original injuries and my wounds and my childhood stuff, and I knew I couldn't drink, right? I stopped drinking so young because it was so toxic. And I also started drinking so young, you know, by the time I stopped, I think I started at 11, stopped at 21, um, I realized that I wouldn't have control over what would happen in my life if I continued drinking. I could just so clearly see, it was like I was sitting on the fence and I saw my life with alcohol on one side. And it was like your basic shit show of like misunderstandings, miscommunication, fighting about stupid shit, like missed opportunities, blah, blah, blah. And then I looked on this side and it was just a blank slate. And I was like, oh, without alcohol, I can actually build a life I love. And that's pretty much exactly what I did. So I was an agent for... Um, less than 10 years, maybe eight years. And the healthier I got, (laughs) the less I wanted to be in the entertainment business. Mm. It was like I realized probably three years before I left, I was just obsessed with helping my clients. I did not care about Pantene. I did not care about a movie deal. I was like, who am I getting into an eating disorder clinic? Who needs Mm. a therapist? Who needs to go to Al-Anon? Who needs AA? And that's what I was truly lit up about was helping them because what ended up happening for me is that I realized that none of us have to be stuck. You know, it feels like we're stuck, but that there are ways to get yourself unstuck. And I just was like, does everyone know this about therapy? Am I the only person who does not know? that if I really understand what's driving my behavior and my choices, if I don't like my behavior and my choices, I can change that. I can, I can actually heal that original injury that is driving me towards unavailable men or whatever, whatever the thing is, because we all have different wounding, that I could stop that behavior. So that's what inspired me to change careers in my early 30s, and I have to say, you know, leaving, I was basically running a bicoastal talent, you know, the New York office of a bicoastal talent agency and representing every supermodel you've ever heard of. It was the 90s people. This was a very popular thing that was happening. So, I mean, I, I remember talking to my father and being like, so i want to quit my job and go back to school and become a therapist. <laughs> and he was like, Fucking why? <laughs> he literally was like, his exact words were sounds weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mid career. (laughs) He's like, you're just reaching the pinnacle. And I said, you know, dad, that's okay. Right. It can sound weird to you, but I'm not happy. And that matters to me. And luckily for you, I don't need anything from you. So what I'd like is your support, but I got it. I will take out loans. I'll, I'll do it myself. Like I didn't need him for anything, but I really did want his support, which eventually he he was like, okay, I mean, if that's what you want to do, you're a grown woman, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that was the shift. And once I went to NYU, got my master's, immediately opened a private
0: practice. And that was 25 years ago. That's so interesting how it almost like you, first of all, you did therapy way younger than what most people do, which is amazing because like you, I had a very turbulent, I would say early teens into my teenage years. I started drinking very early. I started um, experimenting with different drugs. I started being sexually promiscuous at a young age. And mind you, I did not have a very good crowd around me. Mm -hmm. And so my teens were very turbulent. And similar to you, when I got about 17, 18, I started to realize that I needed to make some changes. Now, I think you probably hit epiphanies a little bit younger than I did, but I ended up going into the Marine Corps and Mm -hmm. that helped me get onto that road. And then I had a child. But for me, I started going into a lot of these turbulent, toxic relationships with men who were either highly narcissistic, I would say probably truly NPD, or just very toxic high highs and low lows. And I found myself having very poor boundaries. And it wasn't until I got into my 30s, I'm 37 now, I would say really in the last four to five years, particularly in the last three years, that I've really cultivated solid boundaries. And that's only because I've became so protective of my peace. I would love to hear from you, even just the basics of why are boundaries important and why do people struggle so much when it comes to boundaries?
1: All right. So let's establish what they are so that we all have like the same working definition. And this is what they are according to me. Um, I want you to look at your boundaries as your own personal rules of engagement, right? It lets people know what's okay with me and what is not okay with me. Your boundaries are made up of your preferences, your limits, your desires, and your deal breakers, like your non-negotiables. And it's not enough to just know them, which most people don't even know. You have to know them and be able to transparently communicate them. And I feel like therein lies the rub for so many people, knowing what your boundary preferences are and then being able to say them. So let's get into why it's so friggin' hard. Why? Why is it so hard? It's so hard. I wrote an entire book about it. That's how hard it is. Because after being a therapist for so many years, I just kept seeing the same pain over and over and over and over. And I was like, oh my God, no one is teaching anyone about boundaries or codependency or effective communication and certainly not young. So what happened for most of us is that we were raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents. This is what we learned to do. The more self-sacrificing, the better. So think about childhood, think about what was the messaging that most of us got. Be a good girl. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Turn that frown around, where's my happy girl? Like when you think about what we learned, we learned that our feelings, if they were not positive, are not acceptable. We learned to prioritize the feeling states of the people around us, especially the adults in our life, in childhood. Now, for some people, if you had a chaotic upbringing or an abusive upbringing, this was a matter of survival, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? And emotionally, for every kid, it's a matter of survival. We don't want to be rejected by the adults in our life. And, you know, think about childhood as like you are the ultimate captive audience because where the hell are you going? Right. Nowhere. You're not like just... You know, thumbing it out of there till I go rent a room somewhere. Like, we have to figure it out. And kids are so adaptive that we learn how do I not be rejected? How do I not be abused? How do I not get hurt? It may not always work, but we're always working to stay in the good graces of the people who have power over us. And every person's situation is different, but whether your situation was an addicted home, an abusive home, a home that had super high expectations of you, so you end up becoming a perfectionist, where no matter what you do, it feels like it's not good enough, there is so much um, desire to avoid being rejected that we learn to self-abandon so that we will be accepted so that we will get positive reinforcement from others. So you leave those, we leave these childhood homes and we go into our life, but we, we don't even know that we've been trained this way. We don't even understand what's happening. I mean, until you consciously, like you're saying you did, like I did, we seek to understand why we are the way we are. So all of us were raised, like you and I, everybody listening, you have a downloaded, what I call your downloaded um, boundary blueprint. And this is in your unconscious mind. It's the paradigms that we were taught. We believe, like, this is how relationships are. This is how the world is. This is how I need to behave to be loved, to be safe, to be accepted, to be worthy. And so until you can bring this unconscious material from the basement, as I like to call it, which is your unconscious mind, to the main part of the house, which is your conscious mind, we don't even know what we're dealing with. We don't even understand our own behavior. We're like, how am I in another relationship with another narcissist, manipulator, unavailable person? How? How am I here again? So where we we can look at our life, right? Our life, what are your pain points? That tells us where to look for the original injuries. So if you guys, anybody listening, if you're like, I don't even know about boundaries. I don't I have no idea. Like I'm so overwhelmed by this conversation. I can't even see straight. Let's do something that's super easy. Okay. I want right now, we're all going to take a quick um, resentment inventory. You're just going to think about how you feel. Who are you holding resentment for right now? And I guarantee you, It would take you exactly two minutes, not even, to write down, oh, I feel resentment for my sister because she feels entitled to ask me to watch her kids all the time. I feel resentment for my partner because they spent all this money without consulting me or they don't talk to me about it or they don't spend time with me or whatever. I'm resentful for my parents because they feel they have a key to my house and they just come in anytime they want to. (laughs) And I'm a grown adult, but they don't seem to treat me that way or whatever your resentments may be. You may resent people who work for you. You may resent your boss. You may resent your friends and that's okay. So first of all, don't get all weirded out. If like you do a resentment inventory and you're like, wow, what's wrong with me? I have so much resentment. Everyone has resentment. What we care about is who is that resentment for and why? Because once we start identifying those resentments, now we can go, ah, because where you feel resentful, usually, a need is going unmet in you. So it's either a boundary has been crossed, either you need to set a boundary, but you haven't. So the other person doesn't even know they're stepping over a boundary that you haven't expressed, or you just feel unseen or some need, right? You're just not getting your needs met. So that's the beginning. If you feel overwhelmed and you don't know what your boundaries are about, I also have a great quiz that will help you identify what your boundary style is. You just go to, it's, it's free. Just go to boundaryquiz.com. Literally, that's what, that's the URL, boundaryquiz.com. And I feel like that's a good place for people to start when they're like, I'm trying to identify what, what my
0: disordered boundary style is, you know? I love that. And so eloquently put, because some people truly just don't know where to start because there's so much that they're feeling. There's so many things going on and they might want to change. They might want to improve, but sometimes it's hard to pinpoint where to start. Now, when I hear you talk about boundary styles, are there different styles to boundary setting? And if so, what are they?
1: Well, there's different styles of disordered boundaries. So we have porous boundaries, which are too loose. They're too malleable. And the, the way the boundary quiz goes, we have different, we have like seven archetypes. So if you have primarily porous boundaries, you're more of a chameleon or a peacekeeper or a pushover, right? So there's different styles that, and then I give you a description and a video of each style. Um, Then there's rigid boundaries. And this is when your boundaries are too inflexible where and this can look like this is like the um ice queen or like the loner where if somebody hurts your feelings if you have rigid boundaries you're likely to cut them off not respond to them ghost them give them the silent treatment more than you are likely to have a conversation with them about how they hurt your feelings
0: mm.
1: right so where i think the myths come in so anyway th- those are the two disordered and then the third style is healthy boundaries, right? So that that's the one in the middle that we're, we're seeking to get to having healthy boundaries, which looks like being able to assert yourself, but also being flexible, right? Not too flexible, but it can't just be my way or the highway. And if that is for you, then your boundaries may be rigid and neither rigid nor porous boundaries create healthy relationships right? They both create pain for you in the end. So it's really in your best interest to figure out how to have healthy boundaries. And you don't have to figure it out because I wrote a whole book on it. You could just get the book. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, honestly, I, I literally walk you through. It's not a book that you can just pick up and be like, I'm going to get some wisdom on page 200. You're not. You're going to start from the beginning and you're going to go through it very methodically because that's the way that I teach it. We build Like once you start getting some skills, right? We don't, we don't even get to scripts until the end of the book because you have to go in first. It's not about the other people, right? It's about you, not in a blaming way, but in a way we need to, and you need to understand why are you relating to people and your own boundaries the way that you are? And trust me, you have a million really good reasons
0: to be relating to your boundaries the way that you are right now. Do you feel like, and I know part of you, you kind of went into it a little bit, but when it comes to people who find themselves being more people pleasers, Mm. do you see that attachment with childhood? Because I feel like me as a child, going through a very chaotic environment. And my mother, who was always very dependent on me to regulate her emotions, Mm -hmm. I never really knew who I was going to get, if I was going to get the calm mom, or if I was going to get raging mom, if I was going to get pulled by my hair through the bathroom, or if everything was going to be great, we were going to go shopping. I didn't know what that was going to look like from day in and day out. So as I was navigating dating, and relationships, I found myself more anxiously attached. I found myself always wanting to please the other person Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be accepted. So I always associated people pleasers more with kind of like that background, but I would love to hear your take on maybe why some people have people pleasing tendencies and how they can start navigating, maybe doing the opposite or trying to have more assertiveness when it comes to their boundaries. Side note, did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a professional tarot reader? It's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future. It's a tool to connect with your guides and your higher self to help you in certain areas of your life. Tarot genuinely changed my life and it can potentially change yours too. Click on the link in this podcast for more info. Okay, back to the podcast.
1: There are so many reasons why we end up as people pleasers. So having your, that, that sporadic, that not knowing what you're going to get, um, you probably have your um, intuition, your antennas, like go to Mars. Like you know mm-hmm. every person in every friggin' room that you walk into. You literally can walk into a room and be like, that person's violent over there sitting four rows away from me. Yep. <laughs> like we, we build these sort of special skills to try to keep us safe. In childhood and I find that with the empaths and I'm such an empath and I know you are as well mm-hmm. that there's reasons why we're empathic and so much of the time in childhood there was a hyper vigilance that you're describing you needed to be on high alert to be like am I ducking am I shopping I'm not sure but I'm I'm looking because it's like always feeling like there could be danger around the corner. But what does it do? That dials us into other people's emotions. Because as kids, if that parent was enraged for whatever the reason, and they were abusive, you were going to, you were now unsafe. Something was going to happen to you. So we bring that, of course, into our adult relationships. But you also do it if you, I was the hero child in my family system, and I didn't There was not physical abuse in my family system, more emotional neglect from my father. Like I had all of my own experiences, but because I was the hero child, I was very dialed into succeeding, making sure that I was, I was the one thing that everyone could agree on, right. That I was amazing. Like that was, that was the one thing. But of course, every family system role comes with its own, um, its own cost to the person or any role that we're playing, obviously we're not being fully authentically ourselves because we're doing it to please other people, which Mm -hmm. again, goes back to exactly what you said about the people pleasing. So part of it is, I think one thing that people can do if if you identify as a people pleaser, as someone where it's difficult for you to say no, or to say something, if someone says something rude to you or tells an off-color joke like where you kind of just go along, even though you, you are offended, but you don't say anything, that you have to think about how much of the time do you just automatically comply? You know, I talk about it in the book as like an insta, yes, when other people ask you for things or to do something or, and that's one place that we can stop where if you can buy time, realize you don't owe anyone an immediate answer. And so I give you all kinds of scripts in the book, but I can give you a couple of now, just someone to ask, just make a decision right now, every person listening or watching for a whole week, there is no saying yes to anything immediately. Give yourself a chance to think. And the way that you can um, put yourself in a good position is if someone says, hey, we're having a party next Saturday and we want you to come. You can say, hey, thanks for thinking of me. We can always start with something positive, right? Um, I need to check with my partner, look at my calendar, let you know, and I'll let you know by Thursday or whatever it is. So we can always start by, it doesn't have to be a hard no, right? We don't have to start with the hard no. We can move into saying maybe, even if you know it's a no, because what ends up happening if you're a people pleaser is a lot of times we say yes to things, oh, and then we just conveniently get a migraine the morning of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where we're just like, I cannot fucking deal, like I can't, oh my god, I can't, <laughs> <That's me. laughs> can't do it, not going, don't care. Like, but what I'm saying is that that is there's the child in us that feels like we don't have a right to say no, and yet what I, right now I want to speak to the adult in every person saying, of course you have a right to say no. And you don't even need a good reason. My clients will feel like they need to write an F dissertation on why they're saying no. How about you just don't F and want to, mm-hmm. and you may or may not want to say that to your friend about her dinner party, but that's a valid reason for not doing shit. It really is. And you need to acknowledge that within yourself. It's okay to say no. It is okay and really a must if you want to be healthy to prioritize how you feel what you think and what you want over all other people barring minor children right we're not we're not talking about kids right once you have kids you've till they're 18 you you've you've made you have a pact <laughs> to right. prioritize what they need you know it doesn't mean they you let a 7 year old boss you around it does mean though that if they need to be picked up from ballet, that you're going to pick them up, even though you feel like going to have a drink with your friend, you know what I right. mean? So, but I think that this is a notion that people find hard to, hard to allow in their life or to feel like it's okay. So I'm going to say it again. You have to think that what you feel, what you want, what you think is more important than what anyone else wants, thinks, feels. That doesn't mean we don't compromise in relationships. That doesn't mean we don't have compassion for those we love. That doesn't mean we do things sometimes that we don't want to do because our loved one really wants us to or a partner is super into whatever the thing is that they're wanting us to do. Like going to see classical music with my husband. Now he loves it. I don't. But I really love him. And it really makes them happy. And so I find a way to get dressed up. We invite friends. We go to dinner. I do other things that make me be able to deal with two hours of not <laughs> of trying not to fall asleep. And that's just, you know, that that's a sacrifice that you make in relationships. But in that scenario, I don't tell my husband how I feel. And he never listens to my interview, so he'll never know. Um, because <laughs> why? Why? Either, either I decide to compromise and do it because I really want him to be happy. And will it make him happy if I go begrudgingly? Of course not. So anyway, I I just say that, I, I want to give context to what I'm saying because what I find in my therapy practice and in my mastermind group and in my boundary courses and all my other courses is that women in particular feel selfish. If I prioritize how I feel, what I want and what I think over all others, Then aren't I self absorbed? And aren't I a narcissist? And aren't I bad? And aren't I whatever? And the answer is no, you're not. Because you can still make choices to compromise, but you have to know what you think, feel, and want. And so much of the time we've been raised to react to others rather than having the action come from us, right? You don't wanna be a bit player in your life, you're the star. You're the writer. You're the director. This is your one and only amazing life this time around, even if you believe in reincarnation, right? We're live right now. Like there's not a million tomorrows to do this. There is a finite amount of time that you have on this planet. You got to live your life your way. Because in the end, what I've seen in my therapy practice, I've seen women coming into my practice in their six Seventh decade of life, being like, I've done it all. Checked all the boxes, money in the bank. Kids all went to Ivy League schools. I'm, I'm on all these boards. I go to Soul Cycle three times a week. I still kind of like my spouse. Like, we travel. Why do I feel so empty? And I'm like, because nobody friggin' knows you. Because mm. you built a life built on checking boxes that other people deemed the important boxes to check. You just wanted to go along to get along. The kids going to the right schools, money in the bank. What about you? What about your authentic self? Because here's the the most tragic part of those stories is that if we never let anyone authentically know us because we're saying yes when we want to say no, because we're avoiding conflict and sucking it up and taking one for the team over and over again, how can anyone authentically love us?
0: so true and i really resonated when you talked about the selfishness because when i started to have really solid boundaries with people around me two things happened i lost a lot of people in my life mm-hmm. i i was met with people who did not know how to communicate did not like conflict and would go ghost, which was very hurtful. Mm -hmm. And I also felt a lot of guilt and shame that came along with having boundaries with people in my life because I was so used to being that person who was always trying to please others, being that person that didn't want the conflict, being that person that wanted people to love me or like me, whether it was romantic or friendships. So how can somebody try to start navigating that guilt and shame that comes up? So when they are starting to have boundaries, they're feeling the guilt, they're feeling the shame, How do, where do they start? How do they deal with those feelings? Well, part of it is I would say
1: question the guilt, question the shame. Like if your best friend was doing what you're doing, would you think that she should be guilty or filled with shame? or would you be like go you
0: mm-hmm.
1: right on so part of it is i think that it's it's prudent to question it to look at it and go why am i feeling this way are these my feelings or are these habituated feelings right it's like a it's like a neural pathway it's very well worn especially if you grew up in a family system that guilted and shamed you yes but you know what my mother would tell you about guilt it is, I mean, um, persistent guilt, right? I don't mean guilt. Listen, guilt, if you do something wrong, can be a very reparative emotion. I I was mean to my husband. Guilt makes me go, I should apologize, or I I should acknowledge that I acted like a jerk. I'm going to do that, right? So it isn't that guilt is bad, but perpetual guilt an overabundance of guilt is what you're talking about and what we're talking about right now. And my mother, Janie Cole, would tell you that is a wasted emotion, that it doesn't do anything for you, but it keeps you small and it keeps your life small. It keeps you sort of on the safe side because we don't want people to see us. And when you think about shame, what does Brene Brown say about shame? Shame can only thrive in secrecy, right? This, these, That is the condition that shame thrives in. So, talk, share, get a therapist, talk to a non judgmental friend. Be mindful of who you're choosing to be vulnerable with, though. Be yes. mindful, be discerning. Because here's the thing about your life not everyone should be on the VIP section of your life, you know? Meaning, at least according to me, the VIP section is people who have access to your most tender heart right? The people who fill up your bucket and you fill up their bucket. And even if you love your sister, if she's judgmental as hell, she can sit in the mezzanine. Like it's okay. You don't have to de-friend her. You don't have to cut off contact with people. But just because you have a sister that you love, I'm not sure she should have unfettered access to your most tender heart if she is not emotionally trustworthy, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? It's our job to be discerning. Who gets close to us? Who gets to be in the VIP section of our one and only amazing life? And it shouldn't be people who feel entitled to be there, your third cousin once removed, right? Like whoever, even friends. Like There's so many times in my young life, dude, I start my book talking about the fact that I was a bridesmaid eight times in my 20s. (laughs) And half of those times, I should definitely have said no. And Mm -hmm. I should have been like, how could you be asking me to be in your wedding when you wouldn't even have been invited to a friggin' housewarming party if I had a house? Like, dude, you think I'm your closest friend and mm-hmm. you're number 584 on my list? Like, I don't get it. But it was too embarrassing for me to say no. I felt like it was like an honor.
0: Mm-hmm. Who
1: was I to say no? I should have said no, right? I got dialed into those other people's reality. That's how they saw me, but that was not true for me. And I was so resentful of all the money I spent and all the biggest bullshit and all the things. I was like, why? I'm not even really close friends with this person. Right. So it has to be what you think that matters. And when you're an empath or a highly sensitive person, and those things are different but similar, and I know you probably talk about both, we get super dialed into other people's reality. We can just get like, it's like a vortex that sucks us in. You're like, how can I break up with this person? They're so madly in love with me. They so, I feel so obligated. Like it would take me forever to get out of relationships when I was younger. Because even though my feelings had changed a long time ago, I knew probably two years. I'm like, I should get out of here. I am not in love with this person. But the thought of hurting them, because I did love them, was so friggin' painful. I just stayed, and of course that was always disastrous, Chris, You know that was disastrous, right? Like so, then how did I actually leave? Like in the middle of the night in my pajamas, like holding my pillow, like you know, it was never it was never a well laid plan, because finally your soul is like, I
0: just have to go right mm-hmm. now, like I must leave. You know, relationships are tough because I've also found some of the most difficult times in my journey when it came to my healing boundary setting was coming to the understanding and I'm still figuring this out, coming to the understanding that not everybody is going to feel the way I feel. Not everybody is going to have the same boundaries as me and not everyone's going to adhere to those boundaries because here's what would happen. I would have someone close to me. I would say, this is what I'm looking from you. I I don't understand why we're not close or I don't understand why I haven't met your parents, whether it was platonic or not. And I have found that there has been relationships when I laid out those boundaries that they completely changed, did not want to have a conversation or really just showed me that we're not as close as I thought we were, or I put them on the pedal of idealization of who I thought thought they would be or who I wanted them to become. And when they didn't meet that standard, I ended up feeling disappointed or hurt. And so it was a very hard realization that I had to come to, to not only still respect my own boundaries, but also not take it personal if someone didn't, didn't step up to the plate that I wanted them to have. So when it comes to like dating and relationships, especially in those situations, what is your advice for those that are Starting to uphold their boundaries, and second part of that question would be when are boundaries too much, especially Mm -hmm. in the beginning?
1: Yep. Well, let's start with. I'm going to go back to the situation. I just picked up on one that you said, where let's say you're dating someone for a while and they don't introduce you to your parents to their parents, and that's something that to you would signal that the relationship is going to the next level and you feel like that's where you guys are. I would reframe the way that I would approach that. So instead of going at it from why haven't you done this, I would go at it from, hey, I'd like to make a simple request that you and I set up a time to go have lunch with your parents. We've been talking about it. I really want to meet them and I want to know how you feel about that. So what we do by asserting our preferred outcome, right? We're asserting our boundary preference is what I would call it, is that A, it puts the other person in a position to say what they really think. Maybe they will and maybe they won't, right? I I can't say that they will, but I know that you owning what you want, you asking to get your need or your desire met, that is where your healing is no matter what that other person does, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? It's you being like, I got my own back. I'm going to do this no matter what. I tell this story in the book, quickly I'll share, that my father retired at 50, moved to Florida. I always had like a kind of distant relationship with him that I worked on for many years. And I said to my therapist when I was graduating grad school, I'm not inviting my father to my grad school graduation. And she was like, why not? Why not? And I said, because he hates New York City, he used to work here, and I know he won't come. So what's the point in inviting him? And she was like, well, do you want him to come? And I was like, yeah. Like, this is a big, monumental accomplishment in my life. Yeah, I I want him to be part of it, you know? And she's like, okay, then I think you should ask him. And I I said, even though I know he's going to say no, she's like, Terry, it's not about what he does. It's about what you do. You asserting yourself and letting him know that it matters to you whether he come or not. That is where your healing is at. And I was like, oh, God. So I went to visit him. It was like a once-a-year thing. And she's like, you have to ask, invite him to your graduation before you leave, visiting him in Florida. I was like, oh, my God. So, of course, it's like he's literally taking me back to the airport. I still haven't done it. I was only there for four days. But still, every day I'm like, today's the day. But I didn't do it because I was terrified. So he actually is driving me and I, I, just had to do it. I was like, I can't go back and tell Bev I didn't do it. I was like sweating from head to toe. It was just a nightmare. My face is beet red. And I was like, uh, dad, and he was like, yeah, dear." And I was like, I have an extra ticket to NYU graduation at the end of May, if you want to come. And he was like, oh, I really can't, that's what he says. And I was like, it's all right, dad, don't, don't, don't even worry about it. It's okay. And he's like, here comes the guilt. Is what he said, which I thought was really funny. I was thinking, "Are you kidding? I haven't guilted you a day in my life." Mm-hmm. But I said, "I said, you know, Dad, not no guilt, no guilt. I understand it's a lot, and I understand. But here's the thing: you're my only father, and I just want you to know that you matter to me. Mom will be there, Kathy will be there, all my my people will be there, but none of them can replace you because you're my only dad." And he was like, "Okay." And that changed our relationship. And when I was leaving, like he hugged me way longer than usual because he was a guy who had the emotional IQ of like a sneaker. Like there's no way he can't. He was like, "I mm-hmm. do not know how to do this." And that was actually the last time I saw him, and he died six months later. Oh wow! And I was so happy that I did it, and we. Our relationship in those six months, though, really changed. She started just sending me cards out of nowhere, being like, love, dad. It was like, happy spring. I'm like, what? Who are you? What is (laughs) happening? So sweet. And I never regretted doing it. And then I really understood what my therapist was saying about that it was, I changed. I believed that how I felt was important enough to share with him. And I also realized I'm not that fragile I was kind of glad he wasn't there with my parents being divorced. And, you know, like I I wasn't on the day being like, gee, I wish he was here. I I didn't. I didn't wish he was there. I was happy he wasn't. But I was happy that I got to tell him how much he meant to me, you know.
0: I love that. And it takes back your power because I think oftentimes when we're, you know, trying to deal with boundaries and, you know, the shame and the guilt, it comes with a feeling of sometimes feeling powerless because you I I know for me, I knew what I would want, but I just didn't know how to communicate it in a way where there wasn't a chance of me feeling rejected or abandoned or what if this person runs away or what if this person leaves me? But now how I am at 37 with a lot of growth that I've done and a lot of growth to do, I now know that I'm so at peace with where I'm at and I know exactly what my boundaries are. So I have no problem projecting those boundaries or asking for Mm -hmm. the things that I need. And what you do with that, I'm okay with because I at least am solid with me. Now, what about for people who don't have much of a choice with their circumstances? Mm -hmm. So for example, we're dealing with narcissistic parents, narcissistic, uh, narcissistic ex-spouses, maybe we have children with them. How can we uphold boundaries in situations that we maybe don't want to be in, but we have to because of circumstances? I know that those are very different parents versus spouse, but where would you start with that? Well, first of all,
1: I think that there's a lot more options than people think, and that you have to think outside the box. I mean, if you're in a relationship with a toxic parent, that is debilitating to you, that is harming you, that is doing the same harm to you in adulthood that it did to you in childhood, step back. Step back. Go no contact. Like, it's okay. And that isn't the first thing I say to people, like, oh, you don't like what someone's saying? Cut them off. It isn't that. It's just that. It's okay to go no contact if having an active relationship with a narcissistic parent is destroying your self esteem because that's what it does. You listen, if you were abducted by aliens, you know what? They'd find some other narcissistic supply. Someone mm-hmm. else would take care of them. Something think about it. If you disappeared off the planet right now, when we feel so like, oh my God, but it has to be me, I would say to my clients, but if you were abducted by aliens, you know what? It would effing be somebody else. They would yes, figure you are replaceable. it out. So I just, I say that. I know a lot of people don't want to do that. I understand. Let's talk about the co-parenting with an ex who's an ARC. Limit your interaction. Become unprovocable. Use the gray rock method. Be super boring. Be super like, mm-hmm. No matter how outrageous, annoying, offensive they're being, don't give it to them. Don't so limit. You can say we are we're, we are um, interacting email only. You can get a mediator involved if you need to. You know, there's a book that a former someone that I used I coached many years ago wrote. and I think it's called Magic Words, and it's like how to manipulate a narcissist basically if you're co parenting with them, by Lindsay mm-hmm. Ellis. And I think that that's a lot of energy, but I think it's actually, it's sound. The book is sound in understanding what is a narcissist seeking from you, right? And when you understand their backstory, you can manipulate the manipulator, but it's a shit ton of energy. And when you're raising kids, it, it might is. be worth it. Like I, 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 you know, this is a choice people have to make for themselves. I like the idea of limiting their contact limiting their access to you. And you know that they're going to use the kids to try to get to you. But the more boring you are, the less you give them any emotion, right? Because what is narcissistic supply? It is your pain, your suffering, your crying, your frustration. You're telling other people, all of that is narcissistic supply for them. So you want to starve that. Piece. So, learn about how to be with a narcissist. It isn't just a badge to be like, wow, I'm co parenting with a narcissist. I, I, trust me, I pray for you because it is hard to do. But you're, if you want to become empowered, become educated because that is your greatest source of power, is understanding what you can do to limit how much they want to be around you. How much they want to interact with you. Um, so get educated and think distance, right? Distance is good. You know who else has great stuff on narcissism? It's Dr. Z is her name online.
0: Oh yeah, Dr. Zuckerman. Yeah. I've she's have been on my throat my show. Oh my three God, times. I, love it. I just I just interviewed her as <laughs> she's, well. She's
1: great. And
0: and yeah, yeah, I love her. She's the best. So she's got great advice yeah. on
1: sort of what to do,
0: you know. I agree. And you know what? I liked how you said, I actually agree with you on the manipulate the manipulator, the manipulate the, how do you say, what's the word I'm looking for? Manipulate the manipulative person. We'll say that. There you go. So (laughs) I actually think that can work in certain circumstances because as you said, there are certain things that a narcissist is looking for in terms of supply. And if you have no choice, but to co-parent with somebody, I personally, this is different for everybody. I have found that there are certain ways to say yep. things. There are certain things that they need, mm-hmm. and I have found that I've had the best relationship, and it's been the most stable when I know how to navigate yep. that relationship. Let's just put yep. it that way. <laughs> well, well, you're you're
1: feeding, you're feeding the ego, so there's some satisfaction. And one one of the examples that our Lindsay gives in her book is like, if you. You want the other parent to help the kid with their homework. It's like saying like, you are always so much better at math. And I feel like you can explain it better than I can type of a thing. Because what this requires though, is you sort of sucking up your own ego, realizing that it's for the greater good, hopefully of your child, or hopefully of there being some kind of peace and stability for your kids. Cause that's really what you want, even if you're separated or divorced.
0: I agree. And I think that that's valid in even really highly toxic situations, because, you know, we've talked about this before on my show that it's, the the word the term narcissist is very, very out there right now. And there are a lot of people who do have true NPD, but there are some people that just have really high narcissistic qualities. And the truth is, we'll never really know because most narcissists don't go to therapy yeah. unless they're made to go to therapy and they typically don't stay. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're usually dodging out as soon as they can. Um, so I love how you explain it. And you know, just your nuggets of wisdom are absolutely phenomenal. For you, what advice would you give for any who's listening to this episode and they're like, okay, I want to start healing. I want to start really putting myself first. And I want to be on a journey of self-love, compassion, and having boundaries of of others. What advice would you give to them? And is there any advice you would give to your younger self?
1: Well, for those listening, I would say you can do it. I mean, just start with the fact that I'm absolutely positive it's possible, no matter where you are starting this journey, for you to become fluent in the language of boundaries. I have no doubt. I've helped zillions of people at this point in my life, so I know you can do it. I think it's most practical to start with the resentment inventory and, and really sort of doing an inventory of the relationships in your life. Yes, who you're feeling resentment about, but also who's draining your energy When you leave an interaction with someone, do you feel energized or do you feel exhausted? When your phone rings and it's that really needy person, how do you feel? Like this is, again, this also reveals where you need boundaries. And I like to make an energetic hit list where the people who are the energy vampires in our life, that we just make a little list and we just decide that we're going to energetically separate from them some. And you'd be surprised at how that can shift an interaction before you say anything, is acknowledging within yourself what relationships are taking, taking, taking from me, and what relationships really nurture me and feed me so that you can spend more time on the healthy relationships and spend less time. You know, and give yourself permission to change your mind, even if you're married, even if you've been friends with someone for 30 years, If that person is toxic, if that person, if you're miserable around that person, you don't have to have them in your life. You really don't. And I think that we get so dialed into our loyalty. And a lot of times, at least in my youth, I had Mm -hmm. misplaced loyalty, loyalty to the wrong people, making all of these wrong assumptions that people were like me when they were not like me. So give yourself permission to change what you're doing and who the players are in your life and know that it's possible. So that's what I would say to people listening and advice to my younger self. Oh, just fucking relax. It's all, it's all going to work out. Just <laughs> relax. Like part, part of what I really would say to my younger self is I want you to love the whole journey, the light and the dark. It's not just your peak happy moments that make your life, your peak painful moments make your life too. And so let's get the wisdom from those experiences. Let's honor those experiences because wanting to be always happy, or I was like a, uh, what what do we call it? Like hyper positive, you know, in my early twenties for sure, where I was like, but you know, it all works out for a reason, or like, I couldn't stand anything to be wrong or bad. And I realized like, You don't need to control so much. Relax, stay on your own side of the street and let the chips fall where they may. It's it's all gonna work out, you know? But you are not responsible for everybody's happiness. That's what I would tell my younger self.
0: I could literally listen to you all night long. I feel like between your voice and your beautiful blue eyes that I see, I'm like, I can literally just, just stare at you and just listen all day. I love it. You have such a soothing way of speaking and, you know, just a beautiful aura and energy. Terry, I want people to find you. So please tell me what you're working on, where they can buy your book and your boundaries. And mind you, you guys, I found Terry through Erin, who I was on her podcast and Erin signed up for her boundary setting course. And I'm not like somebody who's big on courses, but I checked it out. This is something that you actually want to look into. So Terry, please tell them where they can find this and where they can contact you. Excellent.
1: So first of all, I have a gift for your audience and it's um a whole thing on boundaries and codependency because i know that this is something that people struggle with because i sure as hell did so you can get that at boundaryboss.me forward slash diary of an empath because that would make sense perfect um i am going to be launching my the boundary course again live in may so you, you know, there's information, uh, for that. That'll be on my website. I think there'll, there'll be a wait list that people can get on for that, but I don't always do it live. So I'm doing it, um, with the, it simultaneously the paperback of boundary boss is coming out. And so we're going to be launching the course itself at the same time. People can find me at terrycole.com. I hang out on Instagram most of the time, which I'm just at Terry Cole, which is T-E-R-R-I-C-O-L-E. Um, What else? You can get the book and all of the bonuses still. You know, people are like, why are you still giving away the bonuses? I'm like, because I want to, because I want people (laughs) to have them. I made them for them. Anyway, you can get that at BoundaryBossBook.com
0: perfect and i will link everything that you mentioned to make it easy for you guys so if you are listening all you, and if you're watching on youtube you just need to go in the show notes which is below mm-hmm. click on the click on the link that is uh interesting for you and you can find terry there terry thank you so much for this conversation for these nuggets of wisdom we need more people like you you are a light so thank you for coming on the oh, show thanks for having me grace i appreciate it